Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that's happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kent, your host, alongside Kira Megan, Will Knight and Steph Wentworth. We look ahead to this weekend's Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix at Imola, as it stages the second race of this year's championship. Can Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes make it two from two, or can Red Bull fight back and prove that their pace in Bahrain was no fluke? Good evening, Will. Good evening, Kira. Good evening, Steph. How are we all? I know some people are saying, oh, I can't, I can't be bothered waiting for you. Well, we don't have too long to wait now before Formula 1 does wait, does get going again um, here at Imola. And um, I'm most certainly looking forward to it. Kira, how are you feeling for this weekend? Yeah, yo, yo. Hello. I am feeling really good about this weekend, actually. Um, I didn't think it was that much of a wait. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I had other series kind of, you know, getting in the way and making me, you know, forget the timings. But the three-week break, I think, for most Formula 1 fans was a little bit, you know, uh, but we're back now and I can't wait. I'm really excited to get going. Imola, great track. We had uh, some action last year, so I think it's going to be good. Yeah. Steph, this weekend, uh, Imola hosting its second Formula 1 race um, in the space of six months. And I have to say, you know, should this weekend's venue prove to be another cracker, then it could most certainly, um, you know, throw up another option for the future years to come. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw some great tracks um, on the calendar last year and Imola was no exception. It was great to go back there in uh, 2020 after such a long break. Um, yeah, I just, I'm really excited to, to go back racing there. I'm not sure if the racing is going to be as exciting as Bahrain because we know that Bahrain was an absolutely stunning race a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but I do believe that we've got a bit of rain predicted on the uh, weather report. So that could definitely throw up a bit of a, um, a succulent race, I, t- I could say. Yes, I, I would, I've seen it on the weather apps as well and we could well see um, a bit of rain over the course of the weekend. Will and hello and um this weekend's race at Imola could it have some rain which is a long time since it had rain um for a Formula One race um could this weekend prove to be even more special I mean at the end of the day any race can have rain if uh, if if we just will it into uh, to existence hard enough I think uh with the weather reports looking as they are I think it is highly likely that we will see some rain over the weekend whether it's on the race itself a lot of fans would want that, but uh, most I, I I would hope it's sort of a, an interchangeable weather conditions or race. But um, I think with last year's race at Imola, it, with the safety car last year, I think it, the race itself got a bit saved from from just being a boring one. So if there is some rain, it could spice things up. Yeah, and with Formula One going back there, they may sort of reconsider the sort of where to put the DRS zones as well. Maybe extend the DRS zone on the pit straight, and maybe add another one between Valencia Alta and Ravazza. So just looking at the Drivers' Championship, we I know we've only had one race, but just to remind ourselves, Lewis Hamilton leads um, on 25 points, and it's Max Verstappen in second on 18, Bottas in third on 16, followed by Norris on 12, Perez on 10, Liz Leclerc in sixth on eight, Ricardo in seventh with six, and it's Sainz on four, Snowder on two, Stroll one, Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, Ocon, Russell, Vettel, Schumacher, Gasly, Latifi, Alonso, and Mazepin have all yet to get off the mark there. So we've got the Imola circuit. It will be a 63 lap race, uh, 4.9 kilometers. And it will be, as far as I know, it hosts hosts its first ever race in 1980 under the stage name of the Italian Grand Prix whilst Monza was um, 
conducting some remodifications um, for the event of the following year, hence why Formula One raced at Imola and not Monza in that year. And then from 1981 to 2006, the Imola circuit, as you well know, held the venue name as the San Marino Grand Prix. Now, there was a few discussions or a few questions raised as to why is it not called the San Marino Grand Prix instead of the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix? Um, I think it's something to do with the, sort of the region side of it. I think they sort of wants to sort of let everyone know that it's in the region of Emilia Romagna, not in San Marino. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, when I was a kid, I used to think that San Marino, well, well Imola was in San Marino. I don't know why, but it's just, you know, the San Marino Grand Prix type of it. But now it took me some time to realise it's not in San Marino. It's in Italy. It's in the region of Emilia-Romagna. So, um, Kira, how, I mean, have you liked Imola as a racetrack? And how did it suit the modern day Formula One cars in comparison to what it was like uh, before 2006? I mean, I can't comment on what it was like before 2006 because I wasn't watching. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't the best. I think there's plenty of other racetracks that we could go to but at the end of the day this um the 2021 season calendar is still modified you know it's still not quite 100 right obviously we have still got the uh, pandemic very much still around so i think this year is going to be very determining as to whether we really want it to stick on the calendar or whether we want it to move away from it or not rain could definitely change things up a little bit you know but at the end of the day i don't know if i do want it to rain or not because i think we really need to see this track to know whether it should be one that should stick whereas when you have rain at a track no matter what track it is you can get good racing so it's going to be really make or break for Imola I think I mean you know the name Imola everybody knows it I mean I knew Imola when I hadn't even watched Formula One cars around Imola so you know I think it's gonna as I said be determined of this year but obviously I'm not I'm not saying no to any rain because I do love a rainy race yeah well uh, I'm sure you as a Formula One editor for Downforce I'm sure you have looked at the Imola racetrack in terms of the Imola races that's hosted over the years but um you know, I have to say, I, I'm, I was so glad that Formula One had gone back there last year. Otherwise, when would it have done? Well, I, I think I, I'm a bit of a, uh, had a bit of a disadvantage in terms of Imola because last time Imola raced, I wasn't even three years old. So um, other people knowing all about the circuit, I've had to do all my research from looking at old clips and, and reading books and stuff. But overall, the last race that we saw at Imola, I think 2006, saw Fernando Alonso and Michael Schumacher dueling it out for the the lead right until the very end so if there's any circuit which has so much history in formula one it is Imola. it's just a shame that the modern cars aren't as suited to the track as they used to be however with the new regulations coming in next year my opinion is this year even if it isn't that good of a race give it a chance in 2022 and just see if it can put up a good fight next year yeah and i think there's this thing with the um cars being stopped behind turbulent air that's the only thing and with next year's cars uh, coming in, I would think that Imola should be one of those that should be given another opportunity. And it was a relief that we went back there last year. Um, Steph, how do you feel that this weekend's race is going to go? Because we've only had one so far out of a scheduled 23. But, I mean, you've, you mentioned before, it's not going to be as exciting of a one as Bahrain was because of the amount of overtaking that we had and, and so and so. But what do you think Imola could surprise us all with that we didn't quite see in Bahrain? Rain? <laughs> Can't see that in the desert, can you? Well, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair could, could I just raise one thing? You remember when Formula E did the Saudi Arabian um, or Deer Prix in 2018? It was raining that day, wasn't it? 
I don't know if you remember. Okay, don't uh, don't come um, to me about the desert with the rain. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that could definitely that's definitely that we could uh, we could definitely be surprised with that. Um, definitely not something that we saw in Bahrain last week, so would definitely be a surprise. Um, I'm not really sure what Imola has would be able to offer us that we didn't see in Bahrain because I thought we had an absolutely brilliant race. You know, we had a fight for the lead. We had amazing overtakes going on in the um, in the midfield. We had different strategies, and that was all fabulous. It ended up culminating in a in a fantastic race. And so I'm a little bit worried that we're going to be disappointed, even though Imola could present us with a good race. We could be disappointed after kind of what we experienced in. Um, in Bahrain and if we look back to kind of the 2020 race it wasn't bad by any means um and if Red Bull are as competitive as they appeared to be last race weekend then we could definitely see a more interesting battle for the lead of the race in in this in this upcoming race so it would be um it would be fantastic if we could see Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen going head to head again and continuing that fight that we saw in the last few races in the last few laps of Bahrain so I think that that would be something brilliant to see but obviously the midfield is going to be very chaotic and very um very tight so that could definitely be where we see a little bit of surprises and we could see a surprise podium perhaps if we have some uh, some issues up front we could see um a surprise dnf i don't know there's a lot it's very very difficult to predict yeah and um, well you i mean we've Imola coming up now and we've, there's this talk about the potential title battle between lewis hamilton and max verstappen for this year and do we feel that Rebel are going to go into this race weekend as the favourites to do so, to come out on top? See, I don't think it's as straightforward as everyone is made, is perceiving it to be, because we've taken a look at the last few years. You take a look from 2017 to 2020. Last year was the first year we've seen the championship winner truly show off their proper pace. We saw Mercedes win in Austria last year, and they went on to take the title. Mercedes then took pole position in 2019 and won the race, but it was Hamilton who took the title. And then you look at 2017 and 18, and also 2019 as well. Um, the next few races, after Mercedes appeared to be so dominant, they turned up in 2018, eight tenths ahead of Ferrari. The next race, Ferrari took, one, uh, took a, a front row lockout and Vettel won in Bahrain quite easily. So the first race of the season is one that I always look at with tinted glasses. Yes, it would be fantastic to see Red Bull provide a solid title challenge but don't write Mercedes off just yet they've already won the first race of the season with a car which it's not the fastest car at Bahrain but we turn up to Imola who knows what could happen so I think Red Bull and Mercedes will be very close and I do keep my fingers crossed that they will push each other but don't just don't count Mercedes out yet in the fact that they are a strong team they know what they're doing and they've already improved on their pre-season form do you agree with what Will's saying there, Steph? Because in my opinion, Mercedes do have a car that can go around at Imola, and so do Red Bull. But it's just, is strategy going to play a role in this? Because we only saw pretty much one stop strategy before the safety car intervened with things. And strategy could well decide it. But having said that, Verstappen was able to pull off that brilliant overtake on Bottas um, a few laps before he had the, um, the punch which caused his retirement. Yeah, um, well, I kind of agree with Will, but kind of don't as well. I think that we've never, ever seen Red Bull look so strong at the beginning of a season. So even though I'm not counting out Mercedes, because obviously they are the title winners since uh, 
since 2014. It's been several years. So you can't count Mercedes out at all. But also Red Bull have never looked this strong before. So it is definitely all to play for. And I'm very, very excited to how that, uh, for how that's going to play out. And I think Lewis and Max are both extremely good with tyre management. So, um, yeah, it, it, if it's a one-stopper, it could it could be very, very interesting to see who's going to eke that, um, eke the most out of that tyre, of those tyres, and who's going to make it to the end, you know, and cross the line first. I mean, it could, it might be Checo, who knows? I, I can't, I couldn't tell you who's going to win, but if we're talking about it between Lewis and Max, then it could be very, very tight indeed, and I'm very much looking forward to it, yeah. Kira, what about Bottas and Perez? Because Bottas wasn't really that close to the top two, and I don't think we've seen the best from Perez yet in the Red Bull. I mean, it was a shame that he had that um, differential issue um, at the or electronics issue at the end of the formation that we saw him um, start from the pit lane. He was able to come through and finish in fifth. And I've got a good feeling that he could most definitely become the third best driver out of all of them this weekend, or even make a threat to Lewis and Max. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, Bottas really let me down <laughs> let me down um he kind of <laughs> let everybody down in Bahrain because he just couldn't keep up on the pace and he had no issues whereas Checo you know he was compromised with his um, qualifying strategy you know he got put in the mediums in Q2 which just shouldn't have happened so he wasn't qualified where he should have been he then had that issue on the formation lap so he was it was a recovery drive and a great one at that however you know we haven't seen the most out of him yet so it'll be really interesting to see what he does this weekend hopefully he doesn't have, have any other issues so we can just purely see what he's doing because I've always been someone that's been very skeptical about that second rebel seat so I would really like to see what Checker can do I'm optimistic about it I really would like to see him do something but I just feel like with Valtteri Bottas you know he him and Lewis have had this partnership now for however many years we know what we expect from them and we know what we're going to get with them and we know that Valtteri Bottas isn't on it and every year he's slipping further and further behind and I, I just don't see it getting any better this year For, to be that far behind in Bahrain it's just it's unacceptable um so I definitely feel like Checker can definitely come up and that is the crucial point in the constructors Mercedes have always won because Red Bull don't have that second driver they've always been messing around with the seat too much but if you get Checo and Max that are both very consistent this year and can get the points and if Valtteri is slipping down like this Red Bull could really be onto a winner here. So it's going to be really interesting to see. As I said, hopefully Checo doesn't have any issues this weekend and neither does Valtteri. So we can see a proper fight to see, you know, which out of those second drivers is the better. And touching on the Constructors' Championship, Mercedes picked up 41 points from a possible 44 in Bahrain. They are 13 points clear of Red Bull, who have 28. And it's McLaren up to third already. So they've had a good start to the season. They're on 18. It's Ferrari in fourth on 12. Alfa Tauri, with two points in fifth, and Aston Martin with one point in sixth. Alfa Romeo, Alpine, Williams and Haas have yet to get off the mark. So, yeah, I would agree with the Perez and Bottas thing, because I feel that Perez, on paper, is a better driver than Bottas, but Bottas just seems to have the... What's the word I'm after? He seems to have a guarantee that he's going to have a good race because he's got a good car underneath him because that's what Mercedes do. They always have a good car for either driver. And with Perez in there, I think he's got to bring his own driving style into there, rather than expecting Red Bull to make a good car for him to make it work. So that's, that's my um, take on it. Um, let's talk a little bit about McLaren, because they got off the mark really, really well, with Norris picking up um, a fourth-place finish. Dan Ricciardo was 
as far as I remember. He was seventh, yes. So Dan Ricardo was seventh in the race. And I've got a good feeling that they're going to carry that form into this weekend as well. Um, well, McLaren, at the end of the day, they, they appear to have the third fastest car. They look like the third fastest team in general. And like you said, they had an extremely strong debut. Lando finished fourth and Daniel finished seventh. But when everyone, everyone coming into the season believed that McLaren might be up there with Red Bull and Mercedes on occasion, I think they're going to be the king of the midfield once again, like they were last year and like they were the year before. But this year, they do have to watch out for Ferrari, in my opinion. Sainz was quite unlucky and Charles Leclerc was pushing Norris at the beginning of that race. And he also had a very fantastic uh, performance in qualifying. So I, I said this before, I think we are genuinely going to see the first McLaren versus Ferrari fight probably since ooh, 2010, 2012, somewhere, somewhere along those lines in terms of the Constructors' Championship. But I think McLaren have the overall advantage and uh, realistically, it will be interesting to see what happens. And Steph, what did you make of McLaren's showing in Bahrain? Because I was impressed with him. I think you've got to give, you know, give credit for what they've done. And I think this season, if they can carry the points finish from Bahrain into Imola and the races that proceed, because it's going to be a long gaggle of races between now and the summer break, they could be in for a really good campaign. And not to forget, they do have that Mercedes engine. Yeah, that uh, power unit was looking very, very uh, well balanced in the uh, Mercedes show, in the McLaren, shall we say. And they looked like it had integrated into the chassis and the car really well and that they were making it work. So, yeah, I thought they did a brilliant job in Bahrain. You know, it was great on the opening lap seeing uh, both of them actually fight with each other. You know, they were they were racing really, really closely. Um, I expected Lando to come out on top because he is exceptional in Bahrain. He's always shown great form there. I think that was the... He, only, he picked up his only Formula 2 win in Bahrain, so he's always demonstrated, you know, strength on this track. So I was um, not surprised to see him so far up. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, obviously, he's still getting used to this new team as well, and he will. He obviously was on the podium last year at Imola, but he probably won't be on the podium this year. So, I mean, I won't jinx anything. Maybe I've just commentated, cursed him. I don't know. Um, I won't jinx, but, yeah, he... Um, he, struck, he was strong at Imola last year, so maybe he will uh, find some form this uh, this weekend coming and, you know, be able to beat Lando. Who knows? I mean, I think the, the uh, battle between the McLaren boys is um, very, very close at the minute. So um, we shall see. We shall see. Yeah. Kira, McLaren's performance in Bahrain was splendid, it has to be said. And what do you feel their target is going to be at Imola this weekend? Because we've been such a fast racetrack. You know, we're looking at a probably a one minute seventeen. I know the lap record was a one minute fifteen. I think the race lap record last year, or one minute fourteen for qualifying. But with the cut down on the downforce for um, for this year, I think McLaren. Where do you feel McLaren are lacking at the moment? Even though the car is very very competitive. I think for them, their target, I don't believe they're going to go anything too high. I think at the moment they've realised that they actually are still quite far ahead. I really thought the Aston Martin didn't really perform as well as I thought they would in Bahrain. And the Alpine has kind of slipped back the last couple of years anyway, or, you know, Renault now Alpine. So I just think they're going to target a solid weekend with a you know, good pool of points. I don't think they ever look at every weekend and go, we're targeting a podium because they know that they have, you know, 
technically got four drivers that should be ahead of them at least and Charles Leclerc coming up where whenever Charles Leclerc just seems to vomit and end up P4 I don't know how he does it but he seems to do it a lot of the time so they kind of have four or five drivers that tend to be above them so I never think that they come into a weekend and say you know this is what I want this is you know we want a podium I think if they get a podium as a bonus but they are looking to be best of the rest at the top there overall I don't really know I think it's too early for me to pick up on anything from the car and say that this is you know something that isn't working because they did have such a successful Bahrain there wasn't like anything you could go oh this wasn't quite good I think all around the car looked solid it looked quite um firmed it didn't look out of source or anything so for me I think the McLarens are just looking really good and really strong I was really you know happy to see this partnership with Mercedes McLaren again and I believe it's working so far but again it's very early to say but I think they're gonna have a solid weekend and you know they've got Lando and Daniel two amazing drivers who I believe are quite neck and neck with their performance and I just think they're both going to get a load of points and it's going to be great for McLaren so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah I'm most certainly looking forward to it as well I love Emma Rosa racetrack or a couple more to be going to. Um, some news which I want to have a look at that's um, come out in the last week and it's to do with uh, this sprint qualifying race thing and it's turned out that the teams have agreed or they are agreeing a financial package to help cover sprint qualifying races. Formula One's plans for three sprint qualifying sessions this season look set to go ahead following weeks of discussions which have led to a financial package being up uh, being agreed upon by all 10 F1 teams. F1 is set to trial sprint races at three Grand Prix this year as part of a plan to experiment with the race weekend format before potentially implementing the change permanently next year when major rule changes will revolutionise the sport. Discussions have been ongoing, firstly to secure backing for the proposal, then to agree how the sessions will operate, and now a financial agreement has been reached, putting plans on course to get the green light in the coming weeks when they will officially be ratified by the World Motorsport Council. Teams raise concerns that these extra sessions will not only push their costs up in terms of additional tyre and engine usage, but they also run the risk of sustaining damage. Liberty Media has therefore agreed to pay teams a lump sum to compensate them, believed to be around half a million dollars, whilst the budget cap will also be lifted by the same amount. Teams may also be able to claim additional compensation for any damage sustained in a sprint race. The sessions will officially be known as sprint qualifying, so as to not detract from Sunday's main event, and will take place on Saturday morning, running to 100 kilometres, with second practice taking place in the afternoon. First practice will take place on the Friday along with qualifying, which will decide the grid for the sprint qualifying race. The result of sprint qualifying, which will award points to first, second and third only, will then decide the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. The British, so the British, Italian and Brazilian races have been earmarked to host the trials, though with record breaking COVID-19 deaths in Brazil, there remains a risk the event may not go ahead and another could take its place to run a sprint qualifying trial. Further meetings are set to, pay, uh, set to take place during the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix weekend to iron out other small details before official confirmation. What do we think of that, guys? I mean, the, the idea of, you know, the teams that are going to be compensated um for doing these spring qualifying races which i'm all for i think it's the right thing that the fia and the world motorsport council have done um kira your reaction to that and does that sort of make you feel a little bit better in terms of how how it's going to be dealt with with how with reducing the concerns for the teams Sprint races for me, when I first heard it was going to be introduced, I was really optimistic and I really wanted this to happen until I looked into it a little bit more and realised that they weren't reversing any of the grid. So I would have presumed that they would have done the Friday qualifying, 
reversed it and then went into a sprint race to see whether, you know, say Lewis Hamilton takes pole, he would then be reversed to 10th, see whether he can build himself back up in a shorter race. That's not the case. So for me, I'm really actually against these sprint races now, which is weird because I'm somebody that, you know, advocates change and I love changing within motorsport to make things better. But I just don't see how this can be better because you're just doing another race where Lewis Hamilton will just go or Max Verstappen will just go because there's no reversing. You know, we see it in a lot of feeder series, you will reverse the grid and that's how you get the competitive field. And that's why in junior series, you get such a mixed up title fight. Whereas with this, I don't see how this is going to make anything other than a bigger gap for the two teams at the top compared to, you know, the lower teams, because yeah, you might get a couple of places that might change within the midfield. Like you might get a Lance Stroll ahead of a Daniel Ricciardo or something like that. But, you know, you're always going to have the same like top three, top four. And I really just don't understand the process of this. And I am actually quite against this now. And it's a shame because simply if you were to just reverse this, it would be such a spicy race, you know, having the top teams and the top drivers starting, you know, in 10th or whatever, or even if they reverse the whole grid, like imagine that, you know, having like, you know, the Haas and the Williams right at the front, we could do something like that. And that's how you trial it. To not reverse anything, I'm really against it. But in turn, I know they're gonna have to try it and I'm all for trying it, but I just don't see it's gonna work. You're just gonna give more points to Mercedes and Red Bull. But I like the fact that they are gonna compensate because at the end of the day, it is something that Formula One and the FIA want to introduce. And it's something that could cause damage for the race the next day so by them you know actually saying you know if this does happen we can you know give you some money i like that i like that they are working with the teams but i just i don't know because if you do have a big crash it's difficult and you know it's putting more stress on the engineers because yet again they might have another night where they have to stay up all night and try to fix this car for the next day it's kind of creating more hassle than it probably needs to so it'll be interesting to see how engineers and mechanics really feel about this to know how they feel from the inside because i know that certain other changes within the fia recently have really affected some engineers because they've just put too much racing in so i feel like if you're still putting too much racing in within formula one are they gonna you could tire these people pull people out so I just I'm not liking it to be honest with you mm -hmm. and my argument with the reverse grid idea Kira is if you've got teams like Hassan Williams who we would know would be starting at the back of the grid or qualifying at the back of the grid you've got maybe one of the big teams that may try and deliberately start at the back of the grid by just being ever so slow like towards the end of the lap if you know if you get, see where I'm coming from yeah yeah, I do get that. But at the end of the day, regardless, you know, they're always going to end up first. You know, you're either going to reverse, you're either going to reverse the grid and then they're going to do that. So they're going to be at the top or you're not going to reverse the grid and they're going to be at the top. So <laughs> I think either way, they're going to be at the top. So I don't really know what you can do to kind of fix that. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, it's a trial thing anyway. So we'll find out later in the year as to how it would go. Steph, what's your reaction to this sort of idea of sprint races and the fact that these teams are set to be com um, compensated you know, half a million dollars it is. Um, you know, is this the right way going forward? Um, yes, no, who knows? Um, like we, like Kira was saying, it's all about trialing it out, and I can't, I can't fault them for wanting to try it. Personally, I like the fact that they're being compensated. It makes sense. What Kira was saying, I absolutely agree with in terms of it's going to make, it's going to stress out the engineers and put more pressure on them if something were to happen in the race. Or would it be that the drivers aren't pushing as hard in the sprint race because they know that it's not really worth as many points and, you know, they would rather have a car that's intact for the actual race on Sunday morning. So on Sunday afternoon. So it's an interesting one. Um, personally, I'm not a fan of the sprint race idea. And yeah, I'm all for trying it. But the reason that I'm not a fan is because I don't understand why we need it. 
necessarily. I don't think sprint race is going to fix a pro- the problems we have in Formula One right now. So I don't know what the impression that I get with sprint races is that they're being used to kind of draw in new fans who don't want to sit for an hour and a half and watch a race. So instead, they're going to sit between like half an hour, 40 minutes watching this little mini race, shall we say, which is a nice idea in theory. But I personally don't see how it's going to attract new fans because the whole race weekend is so complicated the races are on Sundays and that's when people kind of expect them to be so the fact that they're not going to be the race isn't going to be on Sunday and the fact that they're calling it a qualifying it kind of like um I don't know what the word is um demeans what the sprint race is by not calling it a race and calling it a qualifying session and then having free practice after the sprint race did you say that that there had been that had been announced um, let me just have a look again. So the sessions will be officially known as spring qualifying, so it's to not to detract from the Sunday's main event. So it will take place on Saturday morning running to 100 kilometres with se- se- second practice taking place in the afternoon. Yes. First, yeah. So first practice will take place on the Friday along with qualifying, which will decide the grid for the spring qualifying race. See, I don't understand why we need to then do practice after we do a sprint race. I mean, surely the cars, I don't know, are they going to be subject to park firming conditions? It's really interesting and I don't understand why we would have a free practice session. If anything, put the free practice session in the morning and then have the sprint race in the afternoon. I personally just don't understand the point of having another practice session. I would prefer Formula One to then put or Liberty Media or the producers to kind of put a focus on a on the feeder series because sprint race is very characteristic of the feeder series. So you can have a Formula One sprint race that then leads into a Formula Two sprint race since we have about a thousand of those every weekend now. So I don't know. I don't like the way that everyone that it's being that it's going about. And I understand what Kira's talking about in terms of reversing the grid. I just think I'm all for trialing it, but if you're gonna trial it. Go big and go to the absolute extreme and trial it all the way or don't. It seems like we're just half trialing it right now. <laughs> Do you know what I'm, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I think I think we, I can see where you're coming from. It, to me, I don't feel that it's, um, it's put together set in stone yet. I don't think it's something that's been finalised. It's been sort of clarified to the teams what's going to be happening. And I think for us as fans... If we say, okay, we're going to try that in 2022, okay, fine, go away, sort it out how you're going to work out the format for it, and then come back to us with your idea. And like you say, if you're going to try it, go big. Make sure you make it very clear to the teams, to the fans, what it is, what's going to be happening. Will, you've seen a lot of different formats for qualifying, um, maybe not just in Formula One, but maybe for F2, IndyCar, because for the Indy 500, it's not the lap times that determine it, it's the average speed over the course of 10 miles. Yeah. And um, for Formula One, before we had this Q1, Q2 and Q3 knockout format, it used to be a, a single lap qualifying. And prior to that, it was a simple 60 minute session where drivers had 12 laps to, um, to set the best times possible. And don't forget the uh, two sessions of qualifying where they averaged the times in between. That caused quite a few problems because uh, it rained in one session. They ended up having the slowest cars at the front because they set a, uh, a time in the dry part of the session in the second one. Either way, um, my opinion on it is... 2021 we're supposed to have the new regulations in anyway this year and because of the global situation we don't have it uh which that in theory would fix the problems that formula one is having so 2021 it's a write-off year we're not supposed to have it let's try something new at the end of the day and if you put reverse grid there is a problem 
with every single format and every single format you have people turning around and saying yeah let's do that and then every other format you have people saying no that's a terrible idea why possibly implement that but you don't know until you try it and everyone let's face it we would love one shot qualifying you get one shot one lap go all out see what you can do but realistically you take a look at this season and like uh, Steph just said the idea of bringing in fans is people are more likely to come on a Saturday, right? Or uh, a Friday, for instance. Friday, a lot more Formula One fans will just say, oh, it's only practice, it doesn't really matter. But now there's a qualifying session on Friday. So that's going to boost viewing figures, figures for the Friday. And people are going to come and watch that. And then you've got Saturday and there's a sprint qualifying race. People are going to come in and watch that. Boost your Saturday figures. And then if that qualifying session on Friday is so good and it sets up a really good sprint race. And I don't know, both Mercedes heading into turn one, Bottas wipes out Hamilton, both Mercedes starting at the back of the grid. Highly unlikely, but it could happen. Both Red Bulls clattering into the Mercedes, you never know. And that, if that happens on the Saturday, on the Sunday, however unlikely it might seem, your viewing figures with Hamilton and Bottas starting at the back of the grid, and I know, McLaren. McLaren could win a Grand Prix. And although that might detract, people saying it detracts from um, the nature of winning a Grand Prix, the Indy 500 technically used to be a Grand Prix. Formula One is ever-changing. So if we just sit here and think, oh, three qualifying sessions, we get five teams out at the beginning. Slowest, obviously, they're going to go out. You might see George Russell do an absolute blind against Q2, and that's your story for qualifying again. Just try something new. And at the end of the day, if it pays off, Brilliant. We've sorted the race format of the first race back after doing a break. If uh, if it doesn't work, 2021 is a write-off year. That was just something we trialed. We're going back to original qualifying. So at the end of the day, if it's there, we're not supposed to have this year anyway, so we might as well try something new. Yeah, and um, I think that's the right thing as well to sort of minimise the point, the awarded points for these uh, for these drivers and teams. So it mm. seems we're getting up with five points just from... Um, just from the spring qualifying. And I think the problem is as well is you get to Saturday morning, you've already done the Friday qualifying, it's wet on the Saturday morning. You've got teams and car, uh, you've got cars on the racetrack, half of them get wrecked. So it's almost like a repeat of Spa 1998. Then where do you leave it? Well, what, what happens next? How are the teams going to have enough time to fix the cars in time for the race? And it's just going to be very much a nocturnal period for these mechanics to get these cars ready for these repaired cars ready for the race and they're not going to be as strong um, machines or competitive machines as they were before they ended up crashing so that there's another another con in there um, will would you would you think um i would obviously that is a major like spa 1998 back then we had a teak car so the half the drivers michael schumacher could just jump in a ferrari or uh, um both of the Jordans got through unscathed, if I remember correctly. They might have ended up crashing, but either way, mechanic saying, my personal opinion is, although we have to look after everyone in the sport, everyone knows the risks of their job. Formula One drivers, they know the dangers of Formula One. Roman Grosjean, he wouldn't, in let's say 2020 Bahrain, he didn't want to crash, but he knew that that might happen. Team principals, they know that going into that, if they're, for instance, I don't know, if they do a terrible season in 2014, 2015, they could lose their job. Mechanics, in my opinion, although 
it's absolutely terrible. 25 races a season, mechanics, they should be able to go home and see their family in between Grand Prix. It's absolutely inhumane, the fact that they can't do that. But working overnight is not only something that quite a lot of them would have been used to with certain drivers crashing in, um, let's say Albon crashing in FP3, and then they can't get it done for qualifying, so they have to work out part further. Mechanics do know that that is a risk of their job working overnight, and they do know that part of their job is getting that car fixed as quickly as possible in the best condition possible, and that is why Formula One is a meritocracy. It is the best in the business. It is supposed to be the best, and the mechanics understand that. That, that is their job. So they will simply have to go by the, and although this seems absolutely horrible um, in terms of the format and what I'm saying is that mechanics, unfortunately, they just have to get on with it. And whether you agree with that or whether you don't agree with that, it, it's a matter of fact in the sport and certain aspects of the sport need to be changed. Mechanics and all team members need to be able to go home and see their families just to call off. But right now, that is the situation we're in. And unfortunately, it just might be the case that the teams have to deal with it. Yeah, um, just two sex Ted, on that point. Um, I just want to um, just to bring up the fact that after, was it 2018 where we had a, uh, the first triple header um, that Formula One had seen? 20, 2018, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then afterwards, they said that that was never going to happen again because it put too much stress on the mechanics. Well, lo and behold, it happened in 2020. And obviously that was a... Um, an interesting year and for different reasons obviously they didn't want to put those double those triple headers in but it ended up happening um several times throughout the 2020 season and now we have it again in the 2021 season and what I just can't get on board with about these sprint races as well is that we're trying to I feel like we're trying to do too much so Formula One is great and I love it but 23 races in a year is a lot especially for the mechanics and the drivers and the drivers then having sprint races on a weekends as well especially if you know if they're surrounded by several races so I think Silverstone is part of a double header um not sure don't quote me on that um but, but if they then have to do a sprint race and a race and then fly somewhere and do another race the week after it's a lot for them to take on and that's what I don't agree with I feel like we're trying to do too much we don't need as many races if you're going to add a sprint race then dial back we only need 20 races maybe in a season so it's it's Formula One and Liberty Media trying to overcompensate and do too much that I can't get on board with because like you said everyone deserves to be able to go home and have that break and you know we are going to have that big summer break which we didn't have in 2020 but I just I think that we are putting way too much pressure and even the fans we don't want to see everyone being put on pressure being put under this much pressure we don't like I mean, I personally find it really difficult when we've got triple headers as well, because that means every weekend I've got to wake up and watch all of these sessions, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and I'm not even in the paddock. I'm not even doing any of the work. So I can only imagine uh, the stress of that they are all under right now. So, yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason why I'm so against sprint races as well. I just think that there's a lot going on and we just need to dial it back a little bit. I think as well, just one more point, Tom, sorry. I think the best case scenario for this would most likely be to go back to the format we saw back in the early 2000s. 17 races, trial what you want. That's six extra weeks in the season where you can break apart the calendar. Mm -hmm. And also, it, it's a win-win situation. We get a closer title fight. There's more than one team in, in the championship. 
and all the drivers and teams have a lot easier go of it. Yeah. Yeah. And Sounds support, good. Yeah, I was just going to, I like that idea as well. And I just want to say, just to support your point as well, Steph, about the, the stress it puts on the mechanics, that's partly why they trialled this two-day event thing at Imola last year, where they did a 90-minute practice session on the Saturday morning and then qualifying and then the race. They didn't do any running on Friday at all. Yeah. And I think, I remember when the so-called 2021 regulations were going to come in, you know, back in 2019, obviously it's been pushed back by another year, they were sort of scheduling how they're going to do when the scheduling press conferences before races, when the sessions were going to be done. And it seems to be already beginning with the cut down on the practice times. I think what would be a good idea is having the Friday press conferences instead of the Thursday, then have your sessions. And obviously the Saturday and Sunday is history. And that saves like a Thursday of having to just, you know, either wake up or just watch a live press conference, which not too many people consume enough about so that's that's my take on it and to support what you were saying there will i like your idea of 17 races but i think the only problem is you've got so many races that are money crunches you know abu dhabi sochi monaco melbourne um as well as the historical circuit silverstone spa monza red bull ring um barcelona you know, there's so many. I mean, we've got 23 on this year's calendar and it could be even more. And with Miami, possibly Hanoi, um, believe it or not, and I've only just found this out um, last week when it was rumoured at the beginning of 2020 or the back end of 2019, Panama City. Panama City was rumoured to potentially hold a Grand Prix in either 2023 or um, maybe later. And not to mention Hanoi as well, which I think personally it will happen at some point. I just don't know what year. So those are the ones you've got to consider as well. So I think it's going to come down, I think, to a rotational calendar. We don't want the same events every single year. I'm not saying have 20 events this year and have 20 different events the next year. There needs to be a form of continuity, depending on the money it brings into the sport, to the teams, and the revenue it brings in. So, you know, where do you cross the line? Where do you draw the line there, Will? Um, well, like you said, um the uh the the changing calendar perfect idea last in the previous years we've seen uh hockenheim and um nurburgring share a shared contract for the grand prix 2013 nurburgring hosts the german grand prix 2014 hockenheim and if nurburgring wants to host a race european grand prix you can give that that one there but i, I feel although although i like the idea of 17 races and i just said that that is the ideal personal uh, best case scenario for myself and i'm sure everyone else who works in formula one like you just mentioned more and more countries want grand prix and unfortunately there just isn't space on the calendar for every single one now although quite a lot of his policies i'm not a massive fan of i am a fan of however bernie eccleston's policy previously of one country gets one grand prix you have to pick your best circuit whoever can either pay the most money or provide the best racing, most likely the former, will end up hosting that race. And no offence, if you're looking to get a race either, I don't know, let's say uh, Malaysia, we want Malaysia back. Do you want Malaysia or do you want Sochi? It's not really that much. Weighing it up, it's probably like that much in terms of the way we look at it. Um, pretty bad scales there, but either way, <laughs> we, we take a look at it and you've just got to think, Formula One, do you want money or do you want fans? Because right now, 
they're making the balance. They're trying to become more of a show. I think they've already influenced that with the 2018 graphics changes and the YouTube channel, social media is booming. But they're also trying to mix it with the corporate identity of Formula One and the sporting identity. You have to pick one, think of it like an exam. You have to pick one train of thought and just go with it. There's no point in trying to put in too many ideas and jumble them around because it will just be one big mess. And right now, if Formula One keeps on going the way it is, it will just be one big mess, unfortunately. Kira, would you agree with everything that's been discussed about the idea of Sue having a rotational calendar and maybe not 17 races because there's so, there's so many races on around the world that Formula One could be racing at. What would be your train of thought and what would be your system? Um, I believe that we have too many European races and Steph actually mentioned this on her channel the other day and, you know, we're meant to be this world sport. However, I know that Europe holds, you know, the money, the main core of motorsport, but we have so many fans, you know, we don't have a race in Africa. We don't have a race in Africa. We, sh if you look at how many of the races, I think it's like, it's like 15 out of the 23 or something are in Europe and we want to create this global um, calendar and we can't do this when we're just constantly going with the money we're going where the money is we're going to Italy so much like we had I get that last year was a little bit different but we went to Italy three times I don't want that to carry on this year you know we're going to Italy twice this year it's not necessary and there's so many places which would love to hold a race whereas you know African fans can come and watch a race if we you know hold one in Cape Town or somewhere like that so for me the you know the thing that annoys me the most and it's clear to see that they are going with the money over the fans is because this isn't a worldwide championship because of where we're racing so i think we do need to cut it down because as steph said you know i get tired i think we get tired just being there every weekend you know this is like what we're, we're just watching on tv we're on our sofa we're not doing anything whereas all these people are working so hard every single weekend especially with all the quarantining rules they have to go straight to the other place stay in a hotel room for however long then go and do their work for however many days then go again it's crazy and they're not going home they're not seeing their families 23 is way too much and i think as will mentioned there i love that we have modernized formula one and i love that liberty have came in and done all this stuff with social media and it has increased the reach so much and it was such a amazing you know change for formula one to you know leave bernie and how now have liberty but we can't change the corporate identity of formula one and if we start just going for the show and for the fans and you know well not for the fans but going for the show and you know trying to do this and this and this if we're losing formula one within this we might as well just make a tv show and get on with it but um just going back to you know how the mechanics are you know i think that's another reason why we shouldn't be doing so many races and then also doing more and more and more because i think there was a part i don't know if it was Hass or somebody they made a mistake on the sunday and the mechanics said i'm sorry but i'm just so so tired like i'm physically exhausted and you don't want to see that and then you are going to get mistakes and great it's good for the show that you know a car didn't get his wheel put on properly but it's not and it's affecting people mentally and physically and it's just not what you want so i just think personally it's all getting a bit too much and we just need to reel it back a little bit yeah and let's go on to some other news. And um, it's, it's learned that Silverstone has backed or is going to back the use of vaccine passports for 2021. Silverstone is among the list of venues and organisations that have called for COVID-19 tests and vaccine passports as a credible means of allowing for greater spectator capacity at 2021 events. Outdoor large sporting events in England will be allowed to run at 25% capacity or up to 10,000 spectators from May the 17th, while further restrictions are set to be relaxed from June the 21st. Formula One's British Grand Prix is scheduled for July the 18th at Silverstone. 
Several tests are due to be held later in April and through May in order to assess the safe presence of fans at sporting arenas in Britain. The events research programme is due to undertake a number of trials, which include passes that demonstrate a person has been vaccinated, has recently tested negative for COVID-19 or has natural immunity. On the Thursday, uh, on the Thursday evening, a letter of which Silverstone was a signatory was sent to the leaders of the major political parties in Britain. It was also signed by the Football Association, Premier League, England and Wales Cricket Board, Wimbledon organisers, AELTC, the Rugby League and Rugby Union bodies, as well as the English Football League and Scottish Professional Football League. In the letter, the bodies emphasise that they are committed to working closely with the events research programme to explore all options that will allow us to swiftly return to full capacities. The return of fans will give a huge boost to millions who enjoy a day out at a sporting event with their friends and families and be of great benefit to the economy. It is right that every possible action is considered to secure the outcome as soon as possible, but only for as long as an unrestricted return is considered unsafe to fans, matchday staff, and the wider public. This includes investigating how a COVID certification arrangement could reduce and then safely remove the requirement for social distancing. There are many issues to be addressed, including how the technology would work and its ease of use at major events for both the attendees and the organisers. All of, our, all of our sports can see the benefit that a COVID certification process offers in give, getting more fans safely back to their sport as quickly as possible. We know that our stadia can only be fully filled with an assurance process. Now, I would say that, you know, looking at that, I don't, I'm kind of sat on the fence with this idea of vaccine passports, and I don't want to say anything too political here, but, you know, if people have been vaccinated, you know, why should they not be allowed in? You know, that's, 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 what, I, that's what I would say. And, you know, if I have to wait three or four months to get, uh, to get vaccinated, so be it. Um, Steph, we want your sort of take on this sort of vaccine passport idea for which Silverstone is backing. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, actually, because without get, trying to get too political, um, it, the vaccine passport and its uses and where it's going to kind of be implemented is a little bit political because I don't know if we've got any listeners who are outside of the UK, but the way that the UK vaccine process is working is it's kind of going from old to young. So us being in the younger generation, we are not going to be offered our vaccine. Um, and I know I'm likely not going to have it before Silverstone even goes ahead. And it's great that you can prove a negative test and that will also allow you into the venue. I think that's a, a good contingency for the young people who will not have been vaccinated. But um, if that's not going to be, I mean, I think that's going to be the case, but then it's okay um because just saying you have to be vaccinated to come in is so isolating for so many people and i don't think that that's fair but the fact that if you do turn a negative test that you will be allowed in i think that does kind of even it out a little bit the issue that i have is i don't see how we can have a full um a full grand prix and i feel very iffy about all of the tickets being purchased because Silverstone is one of the Grand Prix where you have you know full turnout and the British the British motorsport community will go to Silverstone in all of their glory and there will be hundreds of thousands of us there and I know that we are entering a um an easier stage a, a more 
a less restricted stage of COVID lockdown situation right now in the UK. But by the time we get to July, this disease isn't going to be gone. So it's um it's interesting as to whether Silverstone will have a full crowd because this is still we're still in a global pandemic. So whether we'll have a full crowd, whether every whether we'll have to turn people away. It's, it's all very interesting, you know, people who've been vaccinated, we can all still carry COVID. So I don't actually think the vaccine passport is necessarily the best, best solution because we can still carry it. And there is still, if we're gathering that many people, there is still going to be some significant spread of COVID throughout the event. It's just going to, you know, decrease the risk of someone being seriously ill, which is absolutely great because I would like everyone to be as safe as possible. So it's very, very interesting. Um, and I don't really know what my thought process is on it. I'm very worried to have a full crowd at Silverstone um, and I'd rather wait until next year to get that full crowd back and that proper atmosphere so it, it's an interesting one um, I don't know what your guys thoughts is on it sorry I just went on a bit of a um, <laughs> a bit of a ramble pineapple yeah well we w- we'd love more of that from you Stephanie <laughs> sure. anyway uh, Kira your, your take on this um, vaccine passport idea and Silverstone is seen to be backing the idea of it uh, for its potential Grand Prix this year is it the right way to go about it? Because I'm very much sat on the fence with it, as I mentioned before. Yeah, I think the word, because the word vaccine passport has been thrown around so much and it's always been used quite negatively, I think we instantly hear it and we think, oh my gosh. But I would presume, you know, after June the 21st, we are meant to have, obviously it's subject to change, we are meant to have really no more restrictions especially with mass gatherings outdoors so technically if you're looking at that from the government's perspective and how they are doing this stage out of lockdown we should be allowed a full capacity you know crowd but i think regardless of um whether we were still in this phase of lockdown or whether we are in that phase you would still you should still be required to you know provide that negative test so i think it's really good because if this was going to be you can only go in if you've had your vaccine i would be kicking off because as we said most of these you know all of these younger people probably under 30 i don't think are going to have the vaccine by the time silverstone comes around so if it was that i would be very annoyed but i don't I get, you know, I get the fact that you need a negative test. So I hope the people that have had their COVID jab also get a negative test because as Steph said, you know, you've had this vaccine, but you can still be carrying the virus. You're just not likely to infect somebody as much. So coronavirus will be thrown around. So I feel like everybody should, you know, if you've got your jab, great. But I think you should also definitely have a negative test because... I just feel like that's what, you know, that's kind of how we should go around things, you know, as much as the UK may be coming out of it, but there's so many other countries that aren't. And I think another thing which we're still unsure about is foreign travel. You know, I would be more unsafe if we had people from other countries that may have, you know, coronavirus going around a bit differently or coming into Silverstone, then that would give a different, you know, feeling because they haven't been in the same bubble that we have for the past year. So it's going to really depend on all those different situations. I think it's a great way to go for Silverstone to ensure that everybody is safe by either having a jab or having a negative test. Um, but in terms of not social distancing, I think the rule kind of is at the moment is if you are doing work and you're going, you know, I think you kind of see YouTubers or people, um, you know, if they're going to kind of do their work, you see them on camera and they're all close to each other because they've all done the negative test before and they've all got a negative test. So they're not allowed to go near each other and they don't have to social distance. And that is under the guidelines. I don't think they would be doing it and putting it out to millions of people if that wasn't the case. So. I guess you can get close to people. And I think it's very worrying because we aren't used to getting close to people. We haven't done that since, you know, the start of 2020. It's so weird to go near people. You don't want to do it. So I think the thought of having a massive crowd at Silverstone is scary. But if you look at the roadmap to when July is, 
and you know when we go green as Silverstone it's gonna be hopefully a different world so I don't know it really depends on the stage and the state of the UK well I just have to see I mean the best way I could put it is if anyone's going to go to Silverstone given the the Covid situation I think fans from the UK or who live in the UK should be given the benefit of going there to reduce the risk that's my that's my take on it Will what your thoughts on this whole um, this whole idea well, I think people that know me know that I'm not afraid to, um, to to talk the way it is because, in my opinion, I'm made political. I don't really care what the political situation is, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, the situation we're in right now is that the UK is on an advanced vaccine programme. Um, they've said they've come out and said that all under uh, I think it's all people uh, over the age of 18 should be given one by July which I'm happy about because I'm supposed to be going to do reporting in uh, in Belgium in August. So I'm hoping that I should be um, able to go over there. But at the end of the day, right now, I'm not holding my breath because we are in a global pandemic and it is rather unlikely in the current situation that I will end up going. Um, you take a look at races in Bahrain, you take a look at races in Russia, certain races in Italy, they had fans, but they weren't fans from Britain or Australia. They, they were fans from Italy, Russia, um, Bahrain, wherever the races were from. You're not going to get on a plane go to a Grand Prix packed. The countries are doing this. Um, I don't want to say um, they're easing into it. They're easing into sporting events. And like Kira just said, June, we should hopefully be out of lockdown anyway. So in my personal opinion, vaccine passports, if it does come about, so be it. It, it means we'll get a crowd. And unfortunately, if it does mean that young people can't go or for whatever reason, young people can't go, in my personal opinion, being one of those young people, it it doesn't, my mind is, as long as we have a crowd, the crowd is there for the atmosphere, all right, you can sit at TV, you, you can sit at home and uh, watch it on the TV, you'll feel the atmosphere from the crowd, it won't be the same as being at a Grand Prix, but you'll feel that atmosphere, you'll be able to look at the race and think, okay, we're getting into semi-normal times, and sporting events, they want to be able to open up, they want to be able to get some money in, so if Silverstone does have to do vaccine. My uh, camera just fell over there. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Carry on. <laughs> this is uh, not going very well. Um, edit that bit out. Um, <laughs> if sporting events do have to provide vaccine passports, and it means we get a crowd, and it means we get those sporting events up and running and getting some money, and in my opinion, so be it. Let's go on to some other news, guys. I want to whisk through a few more of these. And um, Miami is aiming to clear a hurdle to reach the 2022 target to hosting a Grand Prix. Miami Gardens' mayor has put forward a joint mem memorandum, if that's how you pronounce it, of understanding with the Hard Rock Stadium in a bid to alleviate concerns harboured by local opponents to the proposed Formula One event. Formula One has been struck. Formula One has been striving to add Miami to its calendar for several years, with a round in 2019 initially mooted for downtown before these plans were abandoned. Instead, focus for the event, supported by Miami Dolphins and owner Stephen Ross, was shifted to the area around the Hard Rock, Hard Rock Stadium, located in Miami Gardens, with May 2021 outlined as a target date. Following resistance from local residents last October, a fresh federal lawsuit was filed alleging racial discrimination and citing potential breaches of noise ordinances. Ahead of a city council meeting 
planned for Wednesday, a memo supported by Mayor Rodney Harris outlined the desire to continue supporting Hard Rock Stadium and promoters of Florida motorsports in bringing Formula One to the city and published a list of proposals in a bid to satisfy opponents. It outlined that the Grand Prix would be held in a manner that provides substantial economic and community benefits that directly support city residents and businesses. It suggested that the event could be promoted as the first Formula One Grand Prix to take place in a predominantly African-American city. It has also been emphasised that the promoter will make certain commitments, including with respect to track design, noise mitigation, air quality monitoring and racing hours that minimise any disruptions to local schools and neighbourhoods. Under the proposed motion, it was highlighted once more that the circuit would not use any of Northwest 199th Street and take place at and around the stadium, aligning with a track map released in January 2020. As part of the MOU, the promoter had pledged a commitment of $5 million split across the 10 proposed Grand Prix for the benefit of local residents and businesses. The promoter has also pledged that STEM programmes and paid internships will be provided to select college students in conjunction with the event. Discounted, uh, discounted, uh, discounted tickets will also be made available for local residences, while noise mitigation barriers of industrial quality will be erected to alleviate concerns. So that's the latest from in regards to Miami at the moment, and essentially two American races on the Formula One calendar. And I'm not sure where to start off with this one because Miami, I'm all for going to new events. I mean, it's the way Formula One works. You know, it, it's the way the sport evolves. You are going to be going to new events that's not hosted, race, hosted Formula One races before. Miami previously hosted a Formula E race, which wasn't particularly that great, if I'm honest with you. Um, Will, we want to begin with you on this. And how do you back Miami as a good venue for Formula One to be going to? No offence, but Miami's just sort of one of those races now, in my opinion, where I, I don't know if, um, I'm sure you have, uh, Tom, I don't know if Kira and Steph have heard of a, a Formula One outfit that wanted to get into uh, F1 quite a few years ago called Stefan Grand Prix. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I and remember that. Every single year, turned around, oh, we're going to be entering Formula One next year. We're, we're purchasing, I don't know, Toyota's old car that they were supposed to use 2010. Are they on the grid now? No. Like Miami, in my opinion, they've been wittering on for about three or four years now saying that they're going to host a Grand Prix for the first time next year. Uh, it's going to be the year after. It's going to be the year after. If they manage to get it done, full hats to them. Brilliant job. Um, I look forward to seeing what they can do in terms of their race. But in my opinion right now, Miami's just sort of one of those, one of those circuits which just keep on saying they're going to host a race and never turn around and do so. Mm. Steph, you, I mean, I don't know if you've been to America before. I've not been to, well, I have been to America before, but not to Miami. But is Miami the right location for a Formula One event? Interesting. Um, what you were saying about kind of having, you know, a predominantly black community being there. Um, I don't know if that's the right reason to be going. I know that in Miami, there's a lot of um, Hispano-Americans and that's the biggest kind of community there because there is a massive Spanish speaking um, community. So that would be absolutely brilliant. You know, the Spanish speaking world of motorsport is giant. Um, so it'd be great to tap into that. 
Um, I don't think Miami's the right location. And I will say that purely because I don't like just deciding, oh, let's go race there and making a track out of it. I think that that doesn't really work. You can't force good racing from somewhere. So this is why I don't necessarily love Saudi Arabia because they just said, I want to race there. And then they were like, okay, what is the easiest kind of circuit that we can kind of make? And I think that this whole Miami and the way that they're pushing it, it just isn't working. They've been working on this for so long and the track uh, proposals have changed and it just it just seems like it's not working. It just seems like they're trying to push something that's just not happening. And like Will was saying, we do not need two races in the same country. And I know the USA is massive and there are tons of opportunities and there are loads of racetracks there. So why can't we go to another racetrack instead of trying to make another street circuit that's going to be very, very similar to the ones that we already have on the on the calendar? It um it just seems a bit unnecessary to me. And I would love for if if we're trying to go to, you know, a predominantly black community, if that's what they want to push, then let's go down to the south, you know, let's go to Louisiana, uh, let's go to, you know, Alabama, let's go to these actual south, these black areas where we're trying to push people to actually get into STEM. Let, let's not go to Miami, which is categorically one of the most populated but richest uh cities let's go to one that's not super rich because people will travel and come and watch and it will actually have much more of an impact on a community if we had a much more of an economic impact if we went to a city which is lesser known but is also you know gonna help out with the actual residents I mean it just for me what they're allegedly saying that they want to host the Miami Grand Prix for it's not adding up um and I feel like it might just be um them trying to explain uh, why they want to have it there if you see what I mean I feel like they're just kind of you know trying to make reasons as to why they want to go to Miami when in reality they just want to to have a race there yeah Kira your your take on Miami's plans I mean obviously it's been cropping up for a few, fair few years now and it's just a matter of time when it does eventually host a Grand Prix but there's been do you remember the I don't suppose you remember the New Jersey proposal um, many years ago I mean Will will remember as far as I know, but there's been plans in the past where another Grand Prix was going to be held in America along with the one in Austin. We've had Indianapolis, we've had Dallas, we've had Phoenix, we've had um, Caesars Palace. We've had so many different American circuits that have been used, maybe trialed just as potential replacements for others that fell by the wayside, but haven't quite worked. I mean, one of the best ones I've witnessed is Indianapolis. I mean, because there's an inner course that Indianapolis use and the way Formula One cars um, circulated was the other way round rather than how the IndyCar drivers do it. And then obviously through the intersections of the course. And I, I was, I, I loved that. And that, I think that's somewhere that Formula One should most definitely consider going to in the future. But in regards to Miami, it's another one of those I'm on the fence with. I don't know whether to be optimistic or pessimistic about it. What, what, what's, your, what's your side of it? Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, Lewis Hamilton said, I think it was Lewis that said he wanted it in Miami. And then I, I remember seeing the proposal for the track because I just remember the Hard Rock Cafe being there. And I think I think it got quite a negative reaction from it. I think I looked at it and thought, this is a little bit weird. I think people saying something about car park, I don't know. Um, so it was a little bit weird. And honestly, I just don't think it's necessary. Again, we spoke earlier about the fact that 
you know we've got all these co- we've got continents that do not have races on them like I can't not countries continents so I just feel like we could be looking at somewhere so much better that we could race out we don't really need it in Miami and again it's all about money it's all about you know being rich and as Steph said we could go somewhere where it's a lot more rural and I think it it adds pressure on Formula One because you're looking at race series like Formula E Extremely who are going places where they can make a change and they're going there for a purpose Formula One are quite simply going to Miami because they want to go to Miami there's no point in making excuses about it I'd rather them just front it and say look we want to go to Miami because we want to go to Miami but they're trying to say oh we're doing this we're doing this it's clear the people around in the residency don't do not want this to happen so why are you pushing it there's so many places we could go to and as you said there's so many amazing tracks also in America if they do want to in America why not go to one of the other amazing tracks I would love to see Indianapolis on the on the certain year on the calendar but I don't know what I don't really I don't really see the place in it and again I don't I don't want any more races on this calendar I physically cannot watch any more Formula One so I don't really see the point in it I don't see the urgency I don't see the need and if Lewis leaves the grid in the next couple of years nobody else really wants it so and I mean I don't even know if Lewis <laughs> wants this one I know he wanted a Miami I don't know where he wanted a Miami so I just I, there's no point I don't see the point yeah so uh, that's the thing with Miami you know looking to uh, get on the calendar for 2022 so it's only a year away so I would think I mean if you were to ask me do I think it will go ahead I think if they cleared a major hurdle I think it's hard to say no I think it will happen it's just providing they've got the the budget ready they've got the revenue that's expected to come in whether it'll be with fans or not I don't know yet but my if I was to be if I'm going to be a realist I think it will be happening that's my take on it um, let's go on to another news, and it's to do with uh, Nico Hulkenberg, because he's been appointed as Aston Martin's reserve for this season. Aston Martin has formally nominated Nico Hulkenberg as its reserve and development driver for the 2021 Formula 1 season. Hulkenberg spent nine full seasons in Formula 1 with Williams, Sauber, Renault and Aston Martin's predecessor, Force India. The 33-year-old had three outings with Racing Point in 2020 as a stand-in for Sergio Perez at Silverstone, and for Lance Stroll at the Nürburgring. Hulkenberg was unable to secure a full-time seat for 2021, but has now accepted a backup role at Aston Martin. First of all, it's great to get this deal signed up with plenty of notice last year. I didn't have quite as much time to prepare before jumping in the car, Hulkenberg said. I'm really pleased to once again work with this team with whom I have driven many times during my career. Obviously, I'm hoping that Sebastian, Vettel and Lance Stroll enjoy uninterrupted seasons this year, but the team knows it can rely on me to step in and do an excellent job, and I'm fully prepared to take on that challenge. It will also be interesting to help develop the team through the season, and I'm really looking forward to pulling great lap times out of my arm sleeve. In spite of his late collapse in 2020, Hulkenberg scored 10 points for Racing Point, which included 8th place from the back of the grid on home soil in Germany, having previously qualified 3rd at Silverstone. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad that Hulkenberg's been given a role within the team, you know, a development role, a reserve role within the team, which could mean that, you know, if I have a driver within Aston Martin, can't participate, you know, due to illness or is unfit to race or he's got a race ban, um, accumulating too many penalty points. It's good to see Hulkenberg um, still on that radar um, in the Formula One paddock era. And I, I'd like to see him being given an opportunity, but at the same time, I have utmost respect for the drivers who are in on the grid as they are. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's the man for the job, definitely. I think um, Aston Martin kind of didn't have 
you know they kind of shared drivers with whoever you know they didn't they could have maybe have taken you know Stoffel van Dorn last year or Esteban Gutierrez but you know they went with the Nico Hockenberg that they know and they love and they've had in the team before and I think it's great that they've kind of got him secure this year because I think last year we were like oh my gosh we've got a driver that has COVID who are we putting in we didn't have anybody solid in the team you know they didn't have anybody to actually straight away just put in so to have Nico kind of with actually that title now as being that reserve driver is exactly what we want to see and um it's great i think now he now he's going to be a little bit more prepared because he's going to be on standby he's not going to be in his croissant in the middle of a cafe and get the phone call you know he's going to be prepared for this i mean as he said i hope that you know the drivers don't have any issues this year and they don't get ill of anything but in the case that we maybe do need an extra driver perfect guy for it we saw how quickly he jumped in that car and just performed he's probably one of the only drivers that can still do that because of the experience that he's got within formula one so i think it's a great choice and i'm very happy with it again you'd love to see him back on the grid for full time but i'm just not entirely sure with every all of the team's paths coming up i don't see there's another place for him to step back in so this is the next best thing and i'm very happy yeah steph your your views on the Hulkenberg's um, position at Aston Martin. I'm sure a lot of people would have loved to have seen him in a full-time drive, but um, I think, you know, if he was to be in a race car again in Formula One, you would probably think a, new, a brand new team joining like the, as the 11th team. I'm not saying my Cairns racing team on that one 2020, <laughs> my team is going to be on there, but uh, at least uh, some team along those lines that could give Hulkenberg that opportunity um, to you know, return to the Formula One grid and do maybe a Roman Grosjean um, at Haas in 2016, where he sort of, he was excellent from the get-go. Yeah, well, Nico Hulkenberg is a massive talent. Um, and I've always, I know a lot of people say he's underrated and a lot of people say he's overrated. But I think I rate him fairly. And I think he's done a good job in Formula One. Like Kira says, he has a ton of experience. So he's a great guy to um to put in that seat. And like last year, we had all of these alleged reserve drivers. So Stoffel van Dorn for Mercedes, but then wasn't able to jump in because he had other commitments on a Formula E weekend. So it's great that we've got Hulkenberg because he's actually kind of a free agent. And so he won't be busy with these other commitments. Um, I don't actually know what Danny Kvyat, I just wanted to bring Danny Kvyat up because I miss him off the grid last year, but he's also a reserve driver this year for... And in fairness, uh, he didn't have a crack of Imola last year. True, yeah, he did, he did. Was he fighting Daniel Ricciardo? For yeah. He, he was right up there. Four in the end, I think. Yeah, yeah, brilliant job. So if he's, if one of the... Uh, one of the Alpines, Alpines this weekend uh, isn't isn't available. Just get Danny Kvyat right in there. We miss him. Um, but yeah, him and Nico Hulkenberg, both great choices because they are free agents. And I think that that's something really important in Formula One. You can't have a reserve driver who's not going to be there on a race weekend. What is the point of having a reserve? And I think it's definitely necessary for these teams actually put these plans in place because last year they got completely blindsided and it is a thing you know we, we do need reserve drivers for when inevitably people can't um people can't race so when when he stepped in for Lance Stroll it wasn't even COVID related you know Lance was just ill so it, it's something that can actually happen to the drivers I mean they they might seem superhuman but they are they're not, they're not invincible. So I think it's great that the teams are, you know, taking these steps in advance so that they've got people ready, um, like our beloved Nico Hulkenberg and Danny Kvyat. So looking forward, I hope we see them. But I also, like Kira said, hope that no one is ill or, or seriously ill or, you know, injured or anything. I don't want any of that. But yeah, we saw a lot of reserves last year. So we can definitely maybe expect to see a couple this year as well. Who knows? Yes. 
And um, just to, so that you know which teams, I think most teams have got at least one reserve driver. As you mentioned, Alpine have got Danny Kofia, Aston Martin have got Nico Hulkenberg, Mercedes, I believe, have got George Russell in there. I think Stoffel van Dorn is sort of there, but I think with Formula They've got like four of them. I know. Yeah. <laughs> They've got loads. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, Ferrari, <laughs> I believe their reserve driver, I think it's, an, it's, I think it's Antonio Giovinazzi, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, I have to fill me in on that. Go on then. Well, what are we going to say? It's Callum Eilert. Callum Eilert, that's... Oh, Callum Eilert <laughs> supremacy. Callum. Yeah. Um, so Red Bull... I think it's Alex Albon in there and I think Sergio Sete Camera is another one of those reserves um, who's also been racing in Formula E um, this season and the back end of last. Um, at Alfa Romeo you've got Robert Kubica who's there, um, Haas, Pietro Fittipaldi, Williams, I think it's Jack Aiken or Ryan Asani or one of the development drivers, got a fair few with <laughs> Williams. Um, I can't remember the other teams. I can't remember the name of the other teams. I think we have Pony. too many teams in Formula One now, but, but also is... at the same time, not enough. Yeah, we have yeah. enough teams. I mean, back in 1989, we had 20 teams. Jesus. Yeah, we had 20 teams and 39 drivers on the race weekend. It's like a Formula Three race. <laughs> or even or even worse than that, he's, he's even like a Formula Regional European Championship. By yes, yeah. For that. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so we'll go back to the race weekend, guys, before we wrap up the show. Um, your takes on this weekend, Will. Um, what do you think we expect to see at Imola? Although I love Imola, I don't expect it to put up much. Um, and hopefully I'm just saying that to jinx it so we get a fantastic race. But I really, I don't expect, I, I expect a good race, but I don't expect what we saw with Bahrain. I think hopefully it'll be a close fight between Verstappen and, uh, and Hamilton, but the, either way you look at it, it's going to be one of those two drivers who win it unless something catastrophic happens or Perez and Bottas pull, in Nico Hulkenberg's uh, words, pull something out their arm sleeve. So you, you take a look at it and I think it will be Verstappen, uh, Hamilton and let's say Checo for his first Red Bull podium. Yeah. And who do you think will get Paul? Ooh, you've asked me something there. Um, I'm not going to say Samaya like I did last time in the Formula 2. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Hamilton. You think yeah. he's going to get a hundred this year? So uh, let's just say Lewis. Okay, um, Steph, your predictions for Imola this weekend in terms of the racing? I mean, I think Will's right. I don't think we can expect too much. But who do you think has got a point to prove? Because I think Aston Martin has still got a point to prove, as do Alpine. Um, but what do we realistically see um, in the race on Sunday? And who do you see will come out on top? Well, one one person with a point to prove will be George Russell, who will be attempting not to crash under the, uh, a safety car this this year. So, um, yeah, definitely Al, uh, Alpine and Aston Martin. I mean, they are right. They're going to be right in the midfield fight. They're just not there yet. Um, so they will be wanting to come out of Bahrain really strong um, ahead of, you know, the rest of the season. They've had three weeks now to do any developments. I know Aston Martin weren't looking as quick as they would have liked to. So they will be coming out of the blocks with something to prove because if they can't prove it this weekend, well, it's going to be a disappointing um, start to kind of the rest of the season for them. And they'll want it to go well to um, to, to be indicative of what, the, what they're going to perform like for the rest of the season. So yeah, Aston Martin definitely with a point to prove. Sebastian Vettel, after that, kind of horrific weekend he had in Bahrain because it really it it reminded me of rookie Seb 
you know, he was making rookie mistakes um, and not performing cleanly like a four-time, like you would expect a four-time world champion to uh, to be performing like. And I feel like there's a lot of scrutiny uh, for Seb right now because of the last couple of years he's had at Ferrari and the mistakes that he's been making. So he wants to prove something now that he's at this new team. He needs to prove that it wasn't, it wasn't him. It was, you know, the environment and Ferrari and the combination of them two that was creating this, these problems that he had in the last couple of years so if he can't pr- disprove that then it's going to look like it's him that's the problem and he can't get warmed up in the car so I think if anyone is going into this weekend with a vengeance it's Sebastian Vettel yeah Kira we, one thing we haven't mentioned too much over the course of this this show is Ferrari because it is their home race at Imola this weekend sadly there's not going to be any fans there so uh, the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix will once again stage its race behind closed doors. But predictions-wise, where do you see... Let, let's start with the top three and pole position first. Um, what do you see happening in that? Yeah, I think I just see the basic top three, you know. I probably still think it's going to be like Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas. I do think Checo's going to be up there. Maybe Checo might get uh, Valtteri in the race, but I definitely think that top two is going to be Hamilton... Verstappen, whether it's the other way around, I really don't know. I do still, you know, have a lot of faith that uh, Mercedes can pull it back, but Rebel was strong, so not entirely sure of that. Um, but what else did you say? I've forgotten. Who else Ferrari. did you ask for? Ferrari, that's the one. Ferrari, I mean, as I said earlier, Charlotte Claire just pulled anything out of the bag, so there's such a big fight at the moment, which is being pushed more from the community, and it's like, who's going to be better? Carlos Sainz, Charlotte Claire, and honestly, I think they tend to be quite even. I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think probably Charles will end up, you know, getting up to people or whatever. So I don't think it's going to be anything magnificent. I think they are better on pace than last year. I think we saw in Bahrain, it was a step up from last year, thank God. So I think they're going to be maybe up there with the Aston Martins, I'd probably say. Again, Aston might have got something to prove because I think they thought they would come out of the blocks a little bit better than this. But, you know, Bahrain was the first race of the season. So it, we could just go into Imola and everything would be completely different. McLaren might not even be up there. We just don't know. But, yeah, I think Ferrari are going to be a little bit higher than they were, say, this time last year. Um, but I don't think they're going to do anything spectacular. You're not going to see them on the podium. And if they are, then congratulations. <laughs> and doing so on home turf as well. I mean, Ferrari would most definitely take a podium. Uh, oh yeah been doing. Um, before we finish the show uh, I know I said before we finish the show but another team which I haven't talked about is AlphaTauri because AlphaTauri um, they were so so strong in Bahrain and Sonoda was fantastic um, Gasly it was very it was very very unlucky to have the, the tangle with Ricardo on that five or that four whatever lap it was it was very early on anyway um, I, I reckon because they've done their um, shakedown run at Imola earlier this year so Sonoda will most definitely be familiar with the track itself. And could AlphaTauri get through to Q3 on the medium compound again? Well, I'll leave it open out for you guys this time. Yes, I'm going to no. say yes. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> yeah. Kira really believes in AlphaTauri. Kira was heartbroken when Pierre um, retired in Bahrain. There were tears. Um, and she's very optimistic, but I'm going to go opposite and say no. I think it was very impressive for them to be able to get uh, get into Q3 on the mediums. I was so surprised that Pierre was able to do that. I was literally shocked that he was on the exact same strategy as the leading guys, and he should have been right up there. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if that's something that we're going to see again. Um, that we're going to see replicate this weekend. I just, I can't see, I can't see it happening. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think. Um... If anyone can do it, Yuki can. 
because he, he let's face it, the kid's only driven F1 cars at Imola. He's had about three or four track days at Imola. <laughs> so <laughs> realistically, he is technically one of the most experienced drivers on the True. grid at Imola if you're discounting Kimi and Alonso. So when we take a look at that, I think personally, Sonoda has a good uh, a good car underneath him. He's got good experience around the circuit. So yeah, let's say he can. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm a massive fan of both the AlphaTauri drivers this year. I think they're both going to be very good. But I feel like a lot of, of the spotlight was on Yuki Tsunoda in Bahrain. And I think people are discounting what Pierre Gasly done in qualifying and then where he would have been in the race if he hadn't have had that tangle with Daniel Ricciardo. And I think people need to look at that and not just think, oh, Yuki Tsunoda is going to do this. We, I think both of them are going to be up there. I think Yuki was doing really well in qualifying until, you know, I think he just got caught out. I'm not entirely sure what happened. And he fell quite low on his second run. But on his first run, I think it was like P2 or something. Um, so I think both of them are going to be up there. And I think it's great. The lineup this year, I could rave about it all year long. We know Yuki Tsunoda can get into any C series and just go. He doesn't need that time to warm up. Like, take Mick Schumacher. Needs time to warm up. Yuki Tsunoda just gets in. You know, a couple of years ago, he was in F4. It's crazy. I don't think he's going to have any problem with Imola. I think he's going to have a great time. And I think Pierre is just, he's an all-round solid, very consistent driver now. He's really found his rhythm in AlphaTauri. And I think that, again, is going to be very strong. So we know that the AlphaTauri is definitely stepped up i feel like alpha tari and Ferrari have kind of came up together now and they're right up there in that top midfield fight so i think we're going to have some good battles maybe between the ferrari alpha tari's aston martins you know i think it's going to be amazing i'm very excited for it so hopefully nobody touches pierre again because i need to be <laughs> yes. and uh, bear in mind pierre gasly qualified fourth position in last year's amelia Miramini grand prix but it wasn't him that finished his point it was danny Cafia. just gasly yeah. um, classic Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, well, that's uh, that's my say. If you want my prediction for the weekend, I think who do I think will win? I still think Lewis will do it. I just think Mercedes, if they can out manoeuvre Red Bull in Bahrain, they can most definitely do it again. And I think they will do it again. They used to do it when it was between them and Ferrari, and I'm, I'm confident they'll do it again with against Red Bull. So Hamilton's to win for Stappen second, and it'll be Sergio Perez in third. But I'm not going to discount a McLaren or a Ferrari on the podium. Oh. I think Ferrari have got to go for it with it being their home race, even without Panzer. Don't say that. If they go for it too much, they'll end up in the wall. We know what happens with them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't push them too far. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave it there, folks. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to everyone that's been involved and watching the show. Next week, Izzy Holman, Joe Ellis and Tom Featherston will be with me to review the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix at Imola. From Kira, Will, Steph and all of us at Motorsport Week, Enjoy the racing this weekend, and it's goodbye. <laughs>